This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I have a bunch of bad news that I have to tell right at the beginning because it's pretty important and relevant to a bunch of other people who may be listening and watching. Normally I like to see save the depressing stuff at the end if there ever is any. So let's just rip the band-aid off and get this over with at the beginning. But unfortunately, I will not be attending the expo in Sao Paulo this weekend. I was incredibly excited to go, and then some things happened at home. Everybody's okay so far. So far, so good. Nothing too bad. But it was one of those things that as the expo was approaching, I was going, man, I I really shouldn't be gone for five days in a row now. Because remember, it's a 10-hour flight from New York to Sao Paulo that leaves in the evening and shows up in the the next morning. So in order to get there, it's a lot of travel. And I even started looking into changing my flights around so that I would arrive the day of the expo, which is terrible because what if the flight's late? What if I miss something? But I was going to try to look into that anyway. And then when I read online that they had canceled Friday, the expo is now only on Saturday. That's when I kind of said, all right, let me call the airline and see what's up. And after talking to them for a while, they said, oh, well, you know, just call our Brazil office and tell them what happened. So I spent like two hours on the phone, which by the way, is about 150 bucks in international charges. I had no idea until I got the text message after, but um, they were able to offer me to refund the entire price of the ticket. And I really thought that was a sign because uh, the people who ran the expo purchased the ticket for me. I was absolutely gutted that I was potentially not only missing the expo, but going to have to cause them money. It's actually why I called the airport. I was or I was going to see if I could pay off the ticket for them or something. So when they said they could refund the entire thing for free, that's when I was like, okay, this is a sign. I got to just do this. You know, I can't be away for five days at the moment. And if I could get out of this in a way that's not really going to hurt anything, I should definitely do it. So I just said, please do that. And, uh, you know, I contacted the people who were running everything. And on the flip side, they said that they had also contacted everybody outside of the Sao Paulo area who had originally bought tickets for Friday. So that way no one would just show up at an empty expo hall or something like that. So while it sucks and I'm embarrassed and, and sad that I had to do all of this, I can at least confidently say that both the people who run the expo and myself put some effort into not screwing everybody over. It still sucks and it's disappointing. And it, it just, at least we gave it some effort. We didn't just, you know, we didn't just blow anything off. But I still would have loved to have gone for Saturday. I have so many friends from Brazil that I've been talking to for a long time and even people in the comments that I've just been talking to forever. I would have loved to have hung out and give you all a giant hug, but I guess that's going to have to be a different time. I'm really sorry about that. So hopefully this could swing back around at some point in the future. But if you're attending on Saturday, please post pictures on social media. Um, I'm going to just be sitting there sad all day on Saturday looking at what I could have been a part of, but it's probably for the best. Like I said, I think everything's fine, but it's probably for the best for everybody. So let me just, uh, you know, I'll get through all this and then swing back around maybe next year or something. 
Second bit of bad news, I screwed up and I owe you all an apology. I did an ad with JLC PCB a few weeks ago where I showed how to order a PCB with a beveled edge. And I sent that video to my rep over at JLC PCB just to confirm that everything was the way it was supposed to be. However, there was a bit of a language barrier and they mixed up bevel and chamfer, which you would think, oh, you know, you should know all that. But if you're not doing video game cartridges every day, it's not as easy to remember that. So when I placed that order, it came back where the edges were chamfered and there were hard gold fingers on there, but it was not beveled. And then when we eventually went through and got in touch with their team about what happened, we found out that that particular design was too small for the machine that they used to make the beveling. So it would have been an incredibly easy fix to just adjust that design or adjust your designs and then add it in a way where it could be placed for the bevel to happen. And unfortunately, it didn't pick up until the end. So if you had all purchased PCBs made, or if any of you had purchased PCBs made, you probably would have shown up without a beveled edge. So this unfortunately is a result of doing what I loved, which was going through this process in real time. And the, you know, the downside to that is it's not professional at all. But Neither am I. I feel like if I read from a script that somebody else wrote, everybody listening and watching would be like, all right, Bob, you're full of shit. This obviously isn't you. I would rather do things the real way. And when I made the mistake, like put the wrong part order in for the SCART cleaner, not only was that funny, it was a learning experience and it didn't affect anybody else. It just affected my order. So I'm totally okay still doing stuff like that. But Showing how other people could order things that might affect them, I can't ever do that again. So I have replaced the order, but I won't show the ad showing how to do that until I have received the order and confirmed that I did it correctly. So, uh, you know, JLC PCB was responsive. Hopefully they'll still be willing to, to sponsor this afterwards. They've been nice to me, so I, I imagine everything's okay, but... Uh, I guess this apology could be considered the ad this week. Um, hopefully everybody, or hopefully not many people were affected if anybody by this. And to be honest, if you were using a different sized PCB, then it wouldn't have had the problem anyway. The only thing you would have had to have done is click off 45 degree chamfered angle and that's it. You would have been totally set for it. Uh, it's just people who made that, if anybody made that exact Genesis PCB. So I'll follow back up with uh, a few more probably generic ads in the next few weeks, get some footage, confirm what I did wrong, what I'm supposed to do right, and swing back around to it. So my honest and genuine apologies for that. Uh, it You know, it's extra weird, especially that it's an ad. So hopefully I didn't affect too many people negative, and I'm, I'm really sorry. Last week, I posted a review of the 4K Gamer Pro, and I asked Mason to make me a clickbaity thumbnail that says, this does not suck because it doesn't. I first saw the, uh, the page for it on Kickstarter, and I just thought, is this doing the same thing your TV does? Is this just a silly cash grab? And the moment I started testing it, I went, oh no, this is actually sharp scaling to 4K. And then I dug in deep with the analysis to make sure that this is a zero lag device and it does not compress colors and it does not drop frames. So this thing is a legit option 
for people who want to sharp scale their 1080p images. It doesn't support any other resolution than 1080p. And of course, this is not the nearest neighbor scaler retro gamers were all waiting for. It might be if you continuously politely email the company and remind them that we want that option. I think they were at least considering adding it to it. But at the moment, it sharp scales and adds a edge enhancement style filter to it. And one of the things that I definitely should have made a point about in the video is if you don't like the look of this filter, but you set it to low, you can't really see the filter, <coughs> excuse me, and you still get a sharp scale to 4K. This is not a 1080p image with where you're cranking the sharpness up on your TV like some people thought it was. This is not that. It is definitely sharp scaling and adding a filter. So... I thought it looked great in some scenarios. I could take it or leave it in others. I liked Sonic. I don't know why. I just It felt like that game really popped. And I loved how it looked with PS3 Daytona. I, I just think that like super colorful, popping out look is exactly what 90s Sega would have wanted if they could have chosen how to present it on a modern 4K TV. So check out the interview, or interview, geez, check out, check out the review if you're into sharp scaling in any way. And the only thing that I'll ask is if you walk away from the review going, oh, that's not for me, or eh, I don't really like the look of it, check out the follow-up post I did. <clears throat> Sorry, must must be allergies or something, but the... Um, I couldn't get 4K60 direct captures working uncompressed. Uh, it's way more challenging uh, than I expected, so I just used the Evermedia Live Gamer 4K's Rec Central app in order to capture these. So they're compressed captures. However, it's still a, a not crappy way for you to load up these captures on your TV that you will be gaming on to see the difference. And it's not as good as the real thing, but sitting at normal viewing distance on your own couch, on your gaming TV or gaming chair, whatever, would give you a much better sense of what it is that you're looking at. So some people saw it right, saw the original review right away and got it, you know, and liked it or didn't totally preference-based, cool, whichever. Uh, but on the flip side, other people walked away from that review thinking, oh, this sucks, this isn't for me. And I'm really afraid that a lot of those people, if they had, if I had done the direct capture method as well, would have seen it and gone, oh, I got it wrong. I was obsessing over the zoomed-in shot like I always do by accident sometimes and never took the, you know, didn't really sit back and, and kind of take it all in like that. So... You know, it's a hard thing to do. You're trying to, in these reviews, show exactly what the device is doing, but then try to present it in a way that you will know how it feels on your TV. And with compression, capture issues, it's really hard to do. So I consider this review a mistake. I could have done a better job. I certainly could have been way more welcoming to people not in retro who wouldn't understand at first why you may or may not want sharp scaling. So I'll, you know, I'll totally work on getting better. I was obviously scrambling to try to try to get this out before the, you know, my now canceled trip and everything. So I'll definitely get better. But the bottom line is it still is a viable product. And I didn't screw the company over because that Kickstarter was long funded before I even emailed them and asked for a review unit. So hopefully I did a good enough job. But if you're looking for something to sharp scale, to hold you off until the Tink 4K comes out and whenever and, you know, whatever next product come out, this is certainly an option to consider. And I also think considering we're in the middle of a part shortage, the price is fair. I would have loved to have seen it cheaper, but... 
it is what it is. So please check it all out if you're interested. Uh, both posts are both linked in the description. An open source ROM cart was just released for the Watara Supervision, and as soon as I saw that news pop up, the first thing I always think is, oh, awesome, another ROM cart choice. And then the second thing I thought was, what the f*** is a Watara Supervision? Luckily for us, Reese is already well-versed in what this is and was able to put together a post that explains exactly what this price cut competitor to the Nintendo Game Boy was, released in 1992, why you might want it, what exactly it is, and more information on the ROM cart itself. And it's funny because I talked to Svenergy, the creator of this, about it, who said that they didn't even really know what this device was until recently, and then were able to just whip up a ROM cart for it, which is super awesome, and especially great that it's open source. And I'm so appreciative of all that stuff. So now, yes, there's a part shortage. Yes, having open source stuff that you make yourself can sometimes be a pain, and especially in the middle of a part shortage. However, as long as you could find a Raspberry Pi Pico, you could probably get everything done for about 10 bucks. So that's something I'm trying to, be, trying to be a little bit more aware of lately is talking about projects that seem neat and seem like they're do-it-yourself projects, but or, or save money do-it-yourself projects. But at the end of the day, you'd end up spending way more than just buying something off the shelf because of part shortages and stuff. So this does not seem to be one of those. So if you are one of the seven people that own a Watara Supervision, you could now put together this ROM cart thanks to Zvenergy. So very cool. Much appreciate Reese stepping up and educating all of us on what this is. And of course, as always, thanks to anybody who does any kind of open source stuff and shares it with the community. So recently, the PlayStation's Mr. Core was released to the public, and not only is it an awesome lag-free FPGA core, it also offers some features that you can't do on the original. And while I'd eventually like to highlight all of them, the one I want to talk about in this post is its 16 by 9 mode, and there's one very important thing that I had learned. It's a short, going to be a short section, I'll get to that in a second, but just a very quick primer. You can enable a 16 by 9 mode that does not stretch the image in most cases, or if it does stretch the image, it might stretch only your life bar or something, but the rest of it is actually opening up more of a wider view of field. And Lou from Lou's Retrosource did a great video that's a, a quick primer on it. I'm not saying that because Lou's a contributor, I'm saying it because it's a great video that would have stood by its own anyway, but... I would strongly recommend just starting with that one to get a very quick primer of what to expect, what to do, etc. And that was done while it was still in beta, but it works pretty much the same. And if you want an extended video showing a little bit longer footage and kind of going through even some of the same games, but a bit longer of playthrough, check out the Restart Points video. However, there was one thing that I had noticed in both that was really highlighted in the Restart Points video, and that's the most important thing that I would like you all to take away from this, is that just try any game you like in 16 by 9 mode, and if it works, cool, if it doesn't, whatever. However, make sure to unpause the game before you decide whether it's actually working or if it's just stretching the image without opening up the field of gameplay and field of view. Because one of the things that you'll see in the restart points video, nobody did anything wrong, by the way. I'm not saying their video is wrong and the core sure as heck isn't wrong. But when the game is paused, if you enable 16 by 9, sometimes it'll stretch some of the, the elements on the screen. And then once you exit the menu and unpause the game, you'll see those elements pop back into their correct shape, leaving exactly what you would want, a wider field of view, all of the stuff on screen is the correct shape, and maybe you have a life bar stretched or something that really doesn't affect your game at all. So 
that's the only point I really wanted to make is give it a try and play it for a few seconds before deciding if it works or not. But I also wanted to really highlight the fact that you can never do this on original hardware. You could only do this on the Mister, And it's a feature where if you're gaming on a 16 by 9 flat panel, I, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to at least give it a try because now you're opening up a wider field of view. So as always, thanks to everybody involved with Vister, the developers, the content creators highlighting everything that this thing can do. Um, and I would also love to see a, a deep dive on some of the dither blending and some of the other stuff that's available to try and clean these games up a little bit because their original look was uh, dependent upon CRTs and in many cases dependent on composite video kind of blurring it all together. So in order to make it look as good as the original would have been in modern times, you have to tweak it a little bit. So I'm very excited to see what people come up with, what combinations of stuff people come up with. And I'd like to keep covering those individual elements here and not just on the PlayStation, of course. Anytime there's a core that does something the original console doesn't, I think that's absolutely worthy of a video and a post. And hopefully more people in the Mr. Community will start uh, showing this stuff off. Steve from Retrotech has recently been working with museums to help them upkeep any CRTs that are based in their exhibits. And in the recent Zez Retro podcast at around the 35 minute mark, the, Steve and Lewis had talked about this a bit. And I just thought this was very cool because it, it's a trend that I have not seen at all, at least up until just pre-pandemic. So if you want a, a quick rundown of what Steve's been up to, Lewis was nice enough to do a great post that kind of summarizes everything. I'll go into it a little bit here, but of course I would strongly recommend just watching their podcast and, and checking out the video of it. But in my own personal experience, I have seen quite a few museums have exhibits with CRTs in them, or the entire exhibit is a bunch of CRTs in order to make visual art that way. And it's been kind of sad to see how that's been treated as the years have gone on. And my experience working with them a couple years ago was definitely not good at all. And I didn't seem, it didn't seem like they cared that much about it. And it starts to really bring up some topics like when we in the retro gaming world talk about, well, should we be watching those early 3D graphics on a CRT and composite? Is that better than RGB? Because that's the original artist's intent. It's a great conversation to have, except no matter what the artist had originally written the games on, those games were always intended to be played on whatever TV you had, period. So if you had a TV and you were in Europe, you had an RGB SCART cable, that's that's how you were always going to play it. If you had the best TV on the market, if you had, like me, a TV where you had to twist two wires together and kick it on the side to get it to start, like it, those games were intended to work on anything that could display the image at the time. So you could argue that CRTs would be the proper way to use it, but it's more general. Whereas on the flip side, these exhibits were created by artists to look a very, very specific way. And maybe they would have loved an expensive PVM but could only afford a cheap CRT. Doesn't really matter. The end result is when they were done with this exhibit, that's exactly the way they wanted you to experience it. So approaching something like this, you have to really approach it the same way you would approach a painting or any a piece of sculpture art where if you need to restore it because something's wrong, the caps are all drying up and it's not getting an image, you need to try to do so in order to be true to the original while keep it running. So you don't want to be true to the original and use capacitors from 1980, but you want to keep that same style CRT at least and the, the same image. 
And I'm just really happy that museums actually care now because the last time I, I talked to any museums about this, a friend of mine was nice enough to introduce me to try to get me in, you know, to help to help us both. And, you know, one of the museums was basically like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you fix projectors? No, get out of here. We don't care. And the other one seemed seemed really excited, but they cared more about getting some arcade machines fixed for free than they did about anything else, including funding for an even bigger CRT exhibit. I, very odd coincidence, but I, I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody's whose relatives did the original, and they were definitely in a position to fund the restoration. And everything, we got treated like crap. It was completely blown off. No one cared what we had to say. And I just, I'm really glad to hear that that's starting to change, because it's not, you know, you could say that a piece of art that's brilliant to one person is crap to you, and that's fair, and that's totally fine. But if a museum is going to celebrate something as a piece of art, don't think one bit of it's junk because it's electronics and the rest of it is art. It's all the art. So if you've already signed off on this, stick with it. So, I, I you know, that, some of that must have come out negatively, but I really just meant that it, the positive spin of how I'm glad people are starting to realize this. I'm glad people are turning around and I'm really glad that somebody like Steve is being able to jump in and help out with this. So if you work with museums out there, you know, there's a million people in the retro gaming community that would be willing to help. I'm always willing to help, but as a consultant now, I'm not going to give any more time for free. So that Once you get burned a couple of times, it's like, ugh, if you want to hire me as a consultant for your museum, great. But uh, you got to take it seriously and not waste my time like last time. So very glad that they're not wasting Steve's time. And please check out this video if you're into art and installations and stuff like this because I think it would be a pretty cool thing to, uh, to if you're into that. I just posted an interview with Zofar, the founder of Zofar's Domain. I did not expect to be saying those words out loud, but I saw him on Twitter a couple weeks ago and was just like, holy crap, it's you. So I struck up a conversation and then we ended up doing the podcast and it was such a trip down memory lane. It was so cool. Uh, he was awesome to talk to. And I just, I think like if you're younger and you didn't really grow up with any of the crazy emulation boom and, you know, especially things like IRC and trying to figure out how to make the internet work. I think it's a really great window into what was at that time period. And if you did grow up in that, if you were a fellow nerd in the nineties, then this is, if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely going to want to listen to that one. It was very cool to talk to him. Uh, I, I hope to get him more involved with some of the scene, but of course it's the same problem. How deep do you go you know, how much time do you spend? Is this taking away from other things in your life? I totally get it. At the very least, though, I've been lurking on a couple of his Twitch streams, and they're they're great, and they're entertaining. So I would strongly recommend jumping into that. A few people had wondered why we didn't discuss Mr. at all. To be honest, I just totally forgot. I was just in awe that I was talking to Zofar, so I totally forgot to bring it up, but it's definitely not the last thing we're going to do together, and I'm sure we're going to swing back to that, because I would also love to hear Zofar's impressions on Mr. But also, I believe that there were still some tweaks left to do, and his wasn't even fully set up yet, so it wouldn't have been a fair uh, a fair rundown of the experience yet anyway. So, hey, it's fine with me. It's just another excuse to be able to do another entertaining podcast. And as always, they're available 
everywhere. I don't pick and choose. I want to place these things, whatever is easiest for you to listen to. So direct download right from the website, every podcast service that I could hear of. And of course, YouTube and any other video service I have my channel cloned to. So uh, definitely check this one out. Um, This was very fun. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As always, I'm just going to skim through these, and if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's posts and, of course, Lou's video, and make sure to subscribe to the channel. But here we go. Starting us out, the SNES Core officially has MSU1 audio, which I'm very excited about. There's already been even a bug fix release after that, and I, th- I really think that some games are... Having an MSU1 audio track is such a a different experience and such an enhancement to the experience. The Sam Miller games are the ones that I'm I'm thinking of first, but also things like the BS Zeldas, which hopefully a certain long-haired wrestler might be able to jump into that uh, and do a, a documentary on exactly what that was all about. But there's there's a lot of things that are more than just adding CD audio to SNES, which depending on the game, that's pretty cool too. That's all preference, but you know, certain arcade games, being able to use the arcade soundtracks, awesome. There's, there's a lot of stuff like that, so definitely take it seriously. Moving on, um, there's now a Formation Armed F Beta Core, which is a vertically scrolling shoot-em-up, so that is... In beta form, it is not completed yet, but you're still able to download it and check it out if you want. There's also some updates to the Toa Plan course, which you could currently play uh, Taisujin. I'm sorry for murdering the pronunciation of that. Hellfire, Zero Wing, and Outzone, which are very cool. Uh, I, I definitely remember seeing those games on different platforms and want to go back and check out the originals. There, the source for the Sega Saturn core is available and you could compile it yourself to test it out. So I don't know if you would call this a beta release. You might still call it an alpha release depending on how you look at things. But the most important thing to note is that SRG320 is is working with their way through the Saturn core and making it usable, which is insane. And if you really want to try it out, you, if you figure out how to get it and to install it on your mister, you're then the type of person that's going to understand what being a beta tester is like. So I think this is a good way to do it. And I'm not saying that to insult anybody. I just mean if this was in a form where you could press a button, download it, play a game, and it crashes, it would be so easy to go, well, this is crap, not knowing that it is super early beta, not for public. So I think it's perfect that it's available this way. And if you want to try it out, go for it. But it's looking very exciting. And much like PlayStation, I'm interested to see what else could be done with this. And I just think, obviously, SRG320 has already accomplished that by releasing the 32X core. So I'm just excited to see all this and uh, you know, definitely consider subscribing to all of these amazing uh, developers on Patreon. Also, Pierso has made a bunch of progress with the Game & Watch core and has tested new frame buffer rendering on a real mister and has the core close to an official release. And there's also anti-aliasing if you'd like to smooth out any of the jaggies, which, depending on the game, I either love or hate that. I just also love that there's an option, so that's pretty cool. Um, Hotego has been finishing up working the main CPU instruction set for the Neo Geo Pocket, and hopefully there will be some more progress on that this summer. I do think it's cool, and I'm really looking forward to seeing 
how an accurate representation of those games on a TV would be. Over the years, there's been consoleizers that were teased. Um, I, I almost had the opportunity to borrow one of the original dev kits that outputs RGB. and So all of this stuff has still kind of been a myth to me. Other than playing on a handheld, which was still a pretty good experience, I haven't really sat down and experienced it on a TV, so I'm looking forward to that now. Also, there's some Cave Arcade updates. Uh, the Cave Core Guanj, Dangun, Feveron, and Puzzle Lupoco are now publicly available. Once again, I am so sorry for just destroying the pronunciation of those games, but if you're into those, uh, definitely try downloading them now. They're just, uh, just update your mister using whatever script you normally do. Uh, also, Retro, Mr. Retro Wolf has released another episode of the Mr. FPGA Core scripting tutorial series. So those are always great. If you're looking to get into this, I would certainly follow through those. There's a new Coleco Atom Core, and this is one for, I believe the Atom was one of the computers for it. Probably drawing a blank at the moment, and I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong, but I'm trying to get this out as quickly as possible for everybody. Uh, next, the Conix Multi-System Core is in development, and that was a canceled console for the UK. So there was previously a software emulator that was developed um, for the same platform by the same developer, Savory Snacks, and over on this FPGA Core, it should be faithful to the original hardware. So that's always awesome getting as close to the original experience as possible also there's some updates on aso joust 2 turkey shoot mystic marathon and arkanoid so uh, if you're interested in any of this definitely check out lou's post as always thanks to lou for doing this for us makes everybody's life easier having all this info in one place including mine so thank you very much lou and uh hopefully we'll see what's on the list for next week Crix has just released a new firmware update for the EverDrive N8 Pro, and this one adds support for some new mappers, including Mapper 192, which was used by the Waxing Games. Waxing Games? I can't pronounce anything. But essentially, that was a Chinese development company that, from the early 90s to the mid-2000s, was responsible for releasing a bunch of unlicensed or pirated Famicom and Game Boy games, including a demake of A Link to the Past that I remember stumbling across a while back and just thinking for what it is, it was really impressive. It's obviously not going to compare to the 16-bit version, but it's just very cool that, that people were able to use that ingenuity to backport a game all the way in the 90s. So um, it's very cool that you're able to experience that on real hardware now through this. And there's also things like cheat access from the in-game menu, a per-cheat on-off switch, which is awesome. I, I would love to try that out just for fun for certain things, and a couple of other improvements and fixes to it. So if you would like any more info on it, please check out Ronnie's post. He has links to where you can get the latest firmware, as well as a list of the Waxing Famicom games if you are interested in what those all were. Because while they're not all winners, I would certainly say that it's absolutely worth your time to check it out if you'd like to see a very strange and interesting piece of video game history. The game Hypernoid is now available for purchase for the Neo Geo CD. So just a bit of background on what this is. Hypernoid is an Arkanoid-style game for the Neo Geo platform that's playable with either the arcade stick, the controller, or even support for a spinner controller, which is obviously the best way to play any Arkanoid-style game. And you're able to get versions of this game if you subscribe to the creator's Patreon for the Darksoft cart, the Terra Onion cart, and Mister. But 
because this is a physical release, you're now able to purchase this without a Patreon subscription just by buying it. And I, I think that's kind of a cool way to go about doing all of this. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously multiple right ways to handle how you distribute your games now and then, but this is certainly something that's pretty cool. And the CDs are very high quality. So the game, each copy of the game is slowly written to an archival grade Mitsu 24 karat gold master CDR, and then placed in a foil wrapped jewel case with offset printed trade card, spine card, and full color booklet. So essentially you're getting something that's pretty much the quality that you would get if you had gotten a store-bought version of it from back in the day. So this is not, you know, yes, you're buying a CDR, but you're not getting something printed and written in Sharpie and then thrown in a sleeve like I would do. You're getting something that feels like a Neo Geo CD game that's going to work well. So I think that's an awesome idea. Um, I still haven't had the opportunity to play this game, mostly because I'm waiting for a spinner controller. And it's also the same reason why I haven't played the Arkanoid Core for Mister. And every time I go into working to build a spinner controller or to order one, I get distracted. So hopefully I can remember to do all that. But it looks really cool. And uh, I think it's something that would, would be a very cool addition to anybody's Neo Geo collection. So definitely check out Todd's post on all this stuff. And uh, if you're interested, uh, potentially buy the game or sign up for the Patreon. Or if you're a mega fan, maybe both. Pre-orders are now open for a vinyl version of the Fantasy Star soundtrack for the Sega Master System, and each side of the record has a different style soundtrack, and Master System fans are probably going to be really excited by this, but side A has the PSG soundtrack, so what you would hear on all US Master Systems, and probably most around the world as well. However, on side B, there's the FM Soundship version of the soundtrack that you could only play on Japanese Master Systems or any of the original SG-1000s with the FM module on it. I think I got my acronyms all right there. But So this is really neat. Um, you know, I'm always talking about trying to experience these soundtracks in a way that would add something to it. And I was kind of curious at first until I actually purchased one from Data Discs and heard the Space Harrier soundtrack and then immediately was like, I get it 100%. This works perfect. The warmth of the vinyl brings you right to the same feeling that you would have playing it analog, you know, out of your console, probably with less hum though. And I think this is the same style of awesomeness and that, hey, maybe you played this game as a kid in the US or in Europe and you loved it, but then you later on in life discovered there was an FM sound chip that you never knew about, like what happened to me. And now you could have both versions of that on the same record and be able to experience them. So if you're a big fan of Fantasy Star, um, it's 30 bucks in the US. Uh, and there's US, Canada, UK, and EU places all to order. So definitely check out Crystal's post if you're interested. Well, that's it for this week. If any of the other stuff came out sounding even the slightest bit negative, it's just because I'm obviously still bummed. I'm only a human as much as I want to just completely switch over to jolly fat guy mode when I'm talking about all the happy stuff. I still am really bummed that I'm not able to to meet all my friends in Sao Paulo and, and meet, of course, Games Care and hang out with all of those people. But... You know, it is what it is sometimes, and at least no one really gets screwed over. So I would have felt absolutely awful. I wouldn't have even been able to look in the camera if I ended up screwing them over for their flight or something like that. But none of that happened, luckily. It's just a bunch of disappointment. So 
I'll try to make it up to everybody. Very sorry to my friends in Brazil, and uh, hopefully we could do something fun at some point. But anyway, as always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, because it is you that is keeping all of this stuff going. The weekly podcast, the behind-the-scenes research, the poorly put-together reviews of <laughs> Scalers. I'll get better, I promise. And uh, And yeah, so thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.